We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. We are live. New frontiers are being explored here on the Rotowire NFL podcast. I am your host, John McCagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. Welcome into our live listeners. We'll also have the you know complete audio version of this for our podcast friends out there a little bit later on this afternoon. But Mario, we got a lot to get to. Obviously, we are less than a week away from the NFL draft officially getting started. Roger Goodell will be able to uh, congratulate the the draftees uh, who are present in Cleveland. So we we all miss the bro hugs the most, of course, uh, fr- from the from the draft last year. Uh, I will miss uh, not being able to see Roger Goodell eat M and M's on his couch, um, but you know, it, you know, sacrifices we got to make. So anyway. We have a lot to get to. We are going to get into Mario's most recent article, breaking down some bold predictions. Uh, Believe it or not, Mario has some bold predictions for the upcoming NFL draft. And we're also going to get into a little bit later on in the show. um, uh, Underdog uh, Fantasy has this cool new uh, tournament going on. Uh, Anyone can get in on it. It's a freshman, or I'm sorry, rookies and second year player best ball draft. Uh, That's pretty fun. So we're going to get into my strategy. I just kind of went into it blind the other day. So some takeaways from it, some general strategy to use moving forward. But Mario, let's get things rolling here. Let's get into Mac Jones because he's been someone that Throughout the course of this draft season, it's been kind of a, a roller coaster. And, you know, a, about a month or so ago, uh, when the 49ers made that trade up to three, there was the almost unilateral agreement with nothing like clearly behind it, just saying, Mac Jones is going to be the guy at three. And 
you and I were like, why, why would that be the case instead of, you know, Justin Fields or Trey Lance? So it feels like Mac Jones is clearly the fifth best quarterback prospect at best uh, in this class. So why would he go three? whatever it is, but what is your read on him now? And is there a chance that, that, that not only is that a smoke screen that, that he would go at three and, and he goes later, but is there a potential slide here on draft day coming up on Thursday? Well, there could be a slide. And the way I phrased it exactly in that article was, I think it's more likely that he falls out of the first round than goes in the top five. So I, I guess if I had to be on the spot and guess where he would go. I would say maybe Chicago at 20, maybe Denver at nine, but the stuff about top five and especially top three, I'm not willing to consider at all. It, it just, it seems to me like one of those things where someone is lying to you and they get too, they put too much embellishment, like too much implausible details in the, in the lie narrative that they're giving you. And if they had simply said something like Mac Jones could be the pick at surprise, third overall pick it, it his his hype is trending upward they thought he would only go in the late first and he, he the rumors are heating up someone might trade up into the top 10 for him that's the kind of stuff that I would hear and, and maybe go that sounds plausible enough that doesn't sound insane it doesn't sound like somebody's trying to trick me but when you say top three in a class that has Trey Lance and Justin Fields I feel like that's going too far and not just that but some of the media tone around Mac Jones has just been sort of deferent in a way that just isn't typical, that isn't really precedented for a quarterback as visible as him. And I'm especially thinking of the DUI arrest that he had at Alabama, which it's known, it's been reported on, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's like we got Trevor Lawrence uh, saying something to the effect of like, he won't obsess and, you know, kill himself yeah, he, over yeah. competitive <laughs> Uh, you know, psychotic competitive obsessions. Like he says that he won't be that way. And it's drummed up as like a, a panic moment for, you know, an afternoon or whatever. There wasn't anything like that for Jones and his, his DUI. And there's, there's not anything about, uh, not that I care about this or, you know, I care, but I'm not judging him personally for this, especially since he was young at the time. But there's this photo going around of him like dressing up in uh, an Obama mask as a Halloween present and his family being like, no Obama. And, you know, there, there's there's very racist undertones to that tweet. Um, I'm not blaming him or like I'm not trying to condemn him for being what is basically like a probably a dumb kid who's just doing what his parents repeating what his parents say or whatever. I don't actually care. But the fact that it didn't come up in the media makes it seem like there's an agenda at play. and because they're normally their, their agenda is just creating hype, creating clicks, creating, sure. you know, just obsession about the subject or whatever. But in this case, they passed up that obvious catnip and instead talked about other things. And that just seems atypical. Like if, if Trevor Lawrence saying he doesn't really care about, you know, being Tom Brady or whatever is enough for people to, to say like, Oh man, we got to reevaluate this first overall pick thing. Like, Oh my God, let's talk about this a lot. Like, why wouldn't they talk about these things with Jones? They chose not to. No one's talking about these things. We're just talking about defenses of his. There's always these preemptive defenses about, you know, even though he's not as big or fast and didn't make as good of throws and he has these various uh, limitations in his game that don't apply to all the quarterbacks that we're trying to tell you he's going to go ahead of, uh, we're just going to instead talk about what if he was actually awesome and you didn't really 
notice that do you ever yeah. consider that <laughs> like they don't ever talk that way about players unless there's an agenda so um i could just be totally wrong i've done that before uh, so I, I don't i don't mean to portray i don't mean to like play this up as anything more than like my moronic intuition but as far as i can see the world there's something clearly off here yeah i, I think so too and you know you, you brought up a, a lot of you know stuff that would get a lot of other draft prospects really really put on the micro under the microscope he has that in his background and yet it, it feels like it hasn't been drummed up and you know maybe this is just a function of the draft taking too long after the after the season i mean we, we just reach a point of just absolute chaos like you said last week where, where trevor lawrence now suddenly uh we we need to st start second guessing and questioning you know where he sits in, in our prospect rankings or whatever just because he he says that he's not a maniac about football and he's just like kind of a human being who happens to be godlike at, at football um so whatever it may be uh it's an interesting development here and it, it does make you raise an eyebrow when it when it comes to the fact that my mac jones seemingly hasn't uh gone under the microscope the same way d despite you know some like you said some publicly known uh things being out there that, that would warrant it and, and seemingly would have applied to a lot of other pro prospects throughout the years so all told you know again we're, we're sitting here six days from the draft your exact prediction was mac jones is more likely to fall out of the first round than to go in the first five picks. So let's just say, let's accept the first premise that he is not going to go in the first five picks. How long could that slide last? Well, depending on how much laundering of his reputation is actually going on here, uh, which is to say, if, if this DUI concern that has not gotten any media traction is something that NFL teams care about, and if the lack of coverage of it is directly proportionate to how much teams are actually concerned about it, he could fall quite a bit. Because, I mean, imagine, uh, imagine you know, in, in hindsight, Johnny Manziel, you know, he went way too high in his draft. Uh, he went 22nd or whatever. Uh, which was way too high given the, the in hindsight, correct character concerns that were about yeah. him and they specifically yeah. related to drinking. And we heard about it and then he fell to 22nd, even though he was a much better prospect talent wise and, and you know, college reputation wise uh, than Mac Jones. He he was someone who going into the draft, it was like he might go in the top five. It, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't like predicted reliably like Blake Bortles was well ahead of him. And of, of course, there was there's other whatever is going on. He fell to like the 22nd pick. And pretty much over the basis of his alcohol consumption. So if it's a real valid concern with Jones, who was not starting with Manziel's talent level, then not just 22 or whatever, he might fall to like 50. Uh, I have no idea what's going on, you know, in the minds of teams as far as that goes. They might just not care. Uh, in which case, I guess I would say if, if it's not an actual concern of the leagues, then probably chicago at 20 or something like that like he could go earlier he could go to denver at nine i don't think he's in play for carolina at eight but i guess there's some technical possibility i'm, I'm willing to rule that out but uh nine I, I you know they tried to get darnold they didn't in denver so as much as i'm pretty low on jones relative to like the media hype i thought he was a justifiable first round pick before and but that was before i kind of like thought through the, some of the details about his his off-field stuff, and before that picture of him started going around Twitter. Um, but I, I wouldn't have bashed a team like the 49ers taking him at their original 13th pick. So mm -hmm. anywhere in that range to 20, I, I don't think Washington will. I think Washington 
considers themselves more immediate contenders and they're going to go at Christian Derrissaw or some tackle that they can plug in and get an immediate upgrade on the left side of the line. I think they're going with Fitzpatrick and Heineke. So I don't think it's Washington. I would guess it's, it's either Denver or Chicago or he falls out of the first. Okay. Yeah. No, that I think that the, yeah, those are the only really realistic landing spots. And like you said, I don't think Carolina is in play, especially not, not at eight. Um, so yeah, that there's only a couple of spots that really he could end up. It, it's a little bit similar to like the, the top tier of running backs in the sense that like, there's only a couple obvious candidates. Once you get to like the 18th pick or, or whatever, um, Miami's picking at, uh, with their second selection, like after that, there's only you know, three, four teams that, that could potentially uh, talk themselves into a running back in the later part of the first round. So it's similar in the sense that if you have the first four quarterbacks off the board and Mac Jones is the fifth one, like th there's only two teams, like you said, that, that could really realistically stop that slide potentially. So uh, yeah, they could trade in the first, I guess. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't memorized the second round scene enough to know who might do that, but yeah, right now I would have to guess either Denver or uh, Chicago picks him. Uh, just kind of guessing. All right, so start stocking up on some orange and blue attire if you're Mac Jones. Uh, let's get on over to Devontae Smith, uh, someone that we've obviously uh, discussed at length. Uh, we have a new data point on him, and uh, once again, it's one that is not – overly positive for for no. his, all intents and purposes uh he uh, checked in at the medical recheck in indianapolis at 166 um which is that's Very really what i mean that that's life for i mean i, I think like marquise brown might have been rumored to be around a similar height or i'm sorry he, weight he is actually that, but, weighed in actually weighed in at like it was like 166 or 167 at 59 and that was coming right. off of his surgery for the liz frank fracture so he um, probably couldn't really lift weights before that. And they were saying he was up to like 180 going into last year. And I don't know whether that's true, but um, I follow him on Instagram. He's bulked up. Yeah. So 166 with no broken foot explanation. That's, that's, it's, it's objectively not great. Like it's, it's just not good to be that skinny if you have the choice otherwise. And it's almost getting to the point like, does Smith care about being that skinny or like, cause does he it, not it, know? It, well, no, it's, it's, it's not something that I'm, um, it's not a question that I ask like critic to be critical necessarily. It's, it's almost like, I'm wondering, do they just not actually care for, for some reason that, that might be justified? Do they just not care? Because it's not hard to get higher than 166 when you're six feet tall, especially like it's pretty easy and it's almost hard to not weigh more than that. If, if you're, you know, going to a weight room a lot and, and maybe he's just, deliberately is not trying to add mass because if he wanted to, he probably could have, it's like, he, he doesn't even care. Um, which I, I wouldn't know what that means. If so, it, like, I guess it, you know, it speaks to his confidence in himself. If so. And I, I would guess there was some sort of, you know, coach input on, on reaching that policy conclusion, but it's totally unprecedented. Like everybody who is skinny and as a prospect tries to add weight, even if it's like bad fake weight that they don't plan to play at. But mm -hmm. he didn't. He just did not care. He was like, it, it was kind of like it almost felt the way like Lamar Jackson refused to run a forty because he was like, I just don't care if you if you think I'm a receiver, then I'm perfectly okay with not playing for you. It's like Smith just almost seems to be saying like, if you care how much I weigh, that's that's fine. I I just don't care at all. And if if you know that's kind of that's kind of like a cool attitude to see in one way. He might just be kind of like ill advised in doing it, but. 
he might also just be kind of being a badass and saying like, <laughs> I just don't care what anyone thinks. And I believe I'm going to make my point eventually. And I, I just do not care to try anything else in the meantime. I got better things to do. So that, that would be cool if he pulls it off. But I'm, man, if I was this agent, I'd be like, can you just kind of eat some cheeseburgers a couple days yeah, this if week? Yeah, in Tuscaloosa, <laughs> like get some dreamland. I don't know. And like Alabama's strength and conditioning program like makes giants out, out of men. So like, yeah, I'm, it's very surprising that, that not only has he – you know, stayed at that at that kind of like concerning weight that that almost like threshold that you know if you run the query of re- receivers in the NFL weighing 175 pounds or less, you you know you you run into very very few success cases, and then when you narrow it down to 166 or you know under 170, it's like wait you know this is this is like you said we're 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 in a, an area of the abyss where it's just like it completely unprecedented what he does one way or the other, because no one has really tried to do what he's doing at the listed weight of, of 166. And I, I don't know if uh, the team that, that ends up taking him is going to ask him to, to bulk it back up to, you know, something a little bit more playable. I mean, not necessarily like 180, but like 175. Right, I don't really yeah. know what, what, what the answer is, but I mean, d- does this, give you even further pause. I know that, you know, over the course of the last couple of months, we've started to kind of think that there's an argument where you could Smith, not in the same tier as a Jamar chase or a Jalen Waddle and, and some other guys now like, like Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, maybe this Smith thing can be used as a tiebreaker against the Heisman trophy winner. Yeah, it's, it's, particularly in a class where there's other really good, really convincing receivers with very clean profiles, it's pretty difficult, or I would, I would say you just can't make the objective case against, uh, you know, ranking Smith behind those guys, especially since he's not going to run before the draft, or at least it looks like he won't like uh, it to not put a 40 down and a vertical and a broad jump. That's, that's asking for another whole layer to, to, to take a leap of faith over. Like it's just uh it, you like you said, it would have been enough concern if he had been 175 at six feet. Like we're already we're into outlier territory at that point, and then subtracting another 10 pounds, and then you don't even run or jump before the draft. Like I, my position is like I'm I'm I believe that Devonte Smith will be a good starter, but I have to acknowledge it's a faith based assumption at this point. Like I I, be, I believe it, um, but if someone if someone is asking me, you know, for an objective detail of the situation i can't go and say like oh he's a slam dunk uh that these these things that are concerns about him are actually fake they're they're not applicable like they're all applicable and real and i take the leap of faith uh because of how he produced at alabama and because the the traditional like functional concerns of a skinny player just don't really seem to occur to him like it's there aren't really plays where he just gets clobbered and the the play is unsuccessful. It's like even if he he's you know a, he's he's like a string bean out there or whatever. And if if we're concerned about him getting hit, it still seems to be one of those things where even if I can't explain why he doesn't seem to get hit. It's like it's it's one of those things like he he's he, maybe he's fragile, but he's so elusive it just doesn't really matter. Like yeah, no one like you rarely see Lamar Jackson get got in, in, when he's in the open field as a runner. Yeah, so it, it's it's one thing to be skinny and have him cornered and you know just pummel him or something, but that's not how it works. Like you have to catch him first, and it seems like people just can't really do it. And everybody around him, around the, the you know the team who talks about him, they say like 
yeah, he's he's different, but I'm not betting against that guy. He's 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 different, both in uh, you know he's 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 freakishly skinny or whatever, but also he's just different. Like the rules don't apply to him, and that's that's a leap of faith to to take that position when you can't objectively substantiate it. But uh, that's that's the way I'm going with it at this point. But for for like dynasty draft uh, advising or whatever, I actually and this is already like a week or two ago posted like the final top 50 rookie top 50 and I did move him behind Rashad Bateman and uh, maybe Elijah Moore I can't remember but I had them in the same tier so that's okay. kind of a cop out I guess but uh, yeah. yeah I mean I, I had I had to in the position of like a, a, advising other people how to handle their money I have to be less reckless than I am when I'm talking about myself okay no that that all makes sense and, and you know again we, we're talking about you know where potentially a, a Devonte Smith type of, of frame could could get into trouble and you run into the possibility. I mean, that there's something to be said for the, the transition to the NFL and in, in the sense that, you know, maybe he lands on a team that doesn't use him right. I mean, we we, we have this discussion a lot of the time that these last couple of years with Jacksonville's receiving core and talking about how D.D. Westbrook would is just being misused in the slot. And you, you pointed this out and it's just like He's really, really skinny too. Maybe sending him into traffic is not the best way to, to use him. So, like, what if we run into a situation where, you know, someone takes Devontae Smith higher than guys like a Rashad Bateman or an Elijah Moore, but he gets used in in, in the way that that doesn't maximize his skill set, and, and in fact, you know, is is a detriment to, to what he can do on the field. Yeah. So I think that Smith can actually play the slot fine. I think Westbrook just is a different kind of player, and it's it's a uh... I think you could say something like D.D. Westbrook's skinniness is a problem because it affects the way that he uh, basically absorbs contact. And when he's at a big density disadvantage, he doesn't have good enough hands and he doesn't have good enough like leverage and coordination instincts to, to offset it. I think Devontae Smith is a guy who just kind of is a spatial, uh, like a spatial processing super genius. Like he, yeah. <laughs> part of why, part of why he's so good is because he, is one of the, it, it almost is like Lamar, like you said, like where there's no way he could ever coach someone else how to be like him. He probably doesn't, yeah. he probably hasn't thought about it long enough to know why things occur to him the way they do. But there's just something that is in him that lets him just, he, he just, without even thinking in real time, like instantaneously just goes where he needs to. And I think that Devante is one of those people because he goes over the middle a lot at Alabama. Uh, D.D. Westbrook did not really go over the middle at Oklahoma. Like he was playing outside and far downfield. And the Jaguars used him in the opposite of that to, to bad results. Whereas right. uh, Devante did everything at Alabama and just just could not be vaguely slowed down, let alone stopped. So, um, yeah, I remember part in the, in the article that I wrote about Devante Smith back in like March or February or whatever. I was talking about how the D.D. Westbrook case is often cited against him, but D.D. Westbrook was a year older in his big season at Oklahoma than Devontae was last year. And even in that big season, he got shut down against Marshawn Lattimore. So there were certain signs that, D, that you know, distinguished D.D. Westbrook's big year from Devontae Smith's profile. And also, crucially, D.D. Westbrook was 23 that year. And the year before, at 22, he was only a 700-yard receiver with Sterling Shepard on the team. It was after Sterling Shepard left that he really did anything at all. Whereas Devonte Smith, you know, obviously Waddle got hurt this year, but I, I don't think Waddle's injury has much to do with Smith's stats. It's, it's like Mechie would have done less if, if Waddle hadn't gotten hurt. 
Yeah, and I think you could also say that you know it's a, it's a feather in in Devonte Smith's cap that he became like the only, like the true like the option one, option two, basically in in the Alabama offense. Everyone knew where the ball was going, and yeah. he still couldn't be stopped. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, take anything away from him by by virtue of uh, Jalen Waddle's injury changing things around in that offense. I think it's you could almost argue again that like it's more impressive that he was able to do what he did when teams were able to try at least to, to stop him and use as much resources as they could. I said this before, but uh, I think the the final line that someone should go with with Devontae Smith is is you can acknowledge that he's unprecedented. Someone of his characteristics succeeding in the NFL is unprecedented, but it's also true that someone with his traits failing in the NFL is unprecedented. He is entirely new as a category. So it's one thing to say, this hasn't happened. It's risky to assume it will. It's another to say, everybody like him has failed. There hasn't been anyone like him. There is no case study. There it is. All right, let's move on over to the running back position. Uh, of course, continuing on talking some rookies. Uh, so again, uh, breaking down Mario's recent bold predictions article regarding the NFL draft. Let's talk a little bit more about Javante Williams. Of course, the, the running back out of North Carolina has kind of had an interesting trajectory as far as his rankings uh, across you know the, the consensus of, of people who do these things, the, the draft rankings and so on, the prospect evaluation. Uh, you know, some places have him as the number one running back. Uh, we do not. Um, but, you know, he's someone, uh, you know, was billed as something that, that maybe he's not. Uh, I'll just kind of leave the floor to you as, as far as the comparisons that, that you drew up. And that, then I'll, I'll get to my secondary question after that. Well, yeah, I, I don't mean to keep beating the subject. This was like one of eight points in the article, but it was, I think, the final perspective that I wanted to convey about it. Like, I wanted to make clear that I don't doubt Javante Williams as a player. I think he's a good prospect. The problem is we have these dominant narratives throughout the dynasty community and now even mainstream things like PFF uh, had ETN ranked as their one, number one running back all offseason. And then for some reason, a few days ago, they're like, actually, Javante Williams is number one. I think that's mostly just them trying to justify their broken tackle metric. Everybody's got these metrics that uh, aren't necessary. Like, I'm sorry, we can get this stuff right without any of it. We don't need it. But they have a business interest in convincing you that you do need it. So like, they're saying, uh, he had the highest broken tackle rate. Uh, what what are we going to do? Say that he broke the most tackles according to our metric and then say he's the third best? That that implies that our metric isn't useful, which it isn't. <laughs> but uh, so that's why that's why I think they changed it. I think that was just kind of like a business agenda kind of decision. But there's a lot of other people who are like, Javante Williams is better than ETN. And it's important to remember the the genesis of these narratives. You know, it's it's important to remember the actual history of this prophecy of his. And I talk about in the, the article how draft Twitter and, and dynasty Twitter every couple of years, they need to have their next Neo. They need to have their next, uh, you know, prophesied savior who is not just a savior, but also unlikely, you know, it, it's not fun if it's just something obvious like Travis Etienne, like, Oh, he had a million touchdowns at 7.2 yeah, yards. Four years of killing it. Yeah. News. I need something that's, that's more compelling as a narrative. I need a, a scrappy underdog uh, who, who rises to the top and, and, and creates a compelling, uh, you know, epic story or something. And it was David Montgomery a few years ago, uh, along with Hakeem Butler for mm. some insane reason. Um, <laughs> but it's like David Montgomery was one of them. And Javante Williams is the new one. It's like, they got, they got bored with the story of, 
uh, Travis Etienne, and even Najee Harris. Uh, it was like the, the, the Devontae Williams hype largely came from people who were comparing him to Nick Chubb, which is to say like a player who is more exciting than Najee Harris, but much bigger and stronger than Travis Etienne. It's like the, the golden standard. And we were the ones, the, the devoted, uh, who, were, who were smart enough to see this prophecy and, and uh, be, be on the correct side of this, this uh, imminent deity. And it's, it's just bored people in some senses. Uh, like there's, there's, a, there's a reason why things like QAnon are alluring to people. And a lot of it has to do with feeling like you're a detective who's, who's playing a small but crucial role in some big, uh, you know, meaningful story that, that the, the world is just noise and meaninglessness. And we want to believe that there's meaning in stuff. And, and we got to have these kind of compelling, uh, relatable classic tales to, to keep us belie- believing anything otherwise. And it's, it's more interesting to think like, Hey, there's there's this group of people of which I'm a part who who, who go the extra length and, and really really dig into the truth to find what other people are are too simple and distracted to find, and you end up going down rabbit holes and you end up in echo chambers where you convince yourself of all these things that you know beforehand you just would have not thought like you just you just wouldn't have been in any danger of saying some of the hyperbolic things that some people have said about Javante Williams. But when you're talking among other people who are like-minded and obsessed about the same things as you, you end up going to weird places. And yeah. one of those weird places was how like Javante Williams is 220 and he's Nick Chubb. And that's a very specific sort of prophecy to state. So he weighs in at 212. The prophecy did not fail. They, they don't back off that he weighs in at 212, which is three pounds lighter than Travis Etienne, who they specifically ranked Javante Williams ahead of because uh, Etienne's too skinny. He can't have a three down. He can't have power like Javante Williams. 220, the power, the prophecy comes in at 212. They don't care. Doesn't matter. No. The prophecies can't fail. Colts just double down when prophecies yep. fail. So he, he's 212, smaller than ETN. Whatever. We don't care. Then he runs a 457, 458, probably a 46 at the combine. It's like, we don't care. He's still, uh, he's, he's still bigger and faster than Travis ETN. He's still better at everything. It's, this stuff doesn't matter. Oh, you, you're just going to let a pro day change your opinion about yeah, a player? The, yeah, the, hey, dude, the you're initial... the one who said he was Nick Chubb. You're the one who said he's 220, and he isn't. You should feel the need to explain yourself, and they never do. Yeah, and, and again, like I remember just the reflex from his biggest, you know, most ardent supporters – just right off the bat, when, when he turned in the the really kind of unimpressive uh, pro day, was oh, 40s don't matter for running backs, and it's like he's a big running back. Uh, he's not big. Well, it doesn't matter because he's, he's a broken tackle metric. <laughs> it just, it just, there's nothing that deters them. Yeah, he's probably going to get tackled by NFL guys. Um, so you know, yeah, you know again, like you said, the David Montgomery instance already happened. Are we learning nothing from it? Right. So uh, to to circle back a little bit. I do think Javante Williams is a pretty good player, and it, I I resent that I sound like I don't think he's good because I'm having to clarify what's wrong with these very various hyperboles that people are just jamming the the the, the discourse with. It's just just this noise, this constant just hum of of misinformation about Javante Williams, and, and just this these 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 just myths that are that are propagated all over the place. But I think he's good. I think he would have been totally reasonable valuation as just like a, a good second or third round pick. And I think he's better than David Montgomery, whatever that's worth. But what I say in this this point in the article is that you should basically think of Kylan Hill and Javante Williams as the same sort of prospect. 
Neither of them is over 215 pounds. None of them runs better than a 4.55. They both have three down abilities. They both break a lot of tackles. That's their game. They're, they're the same as far as all those details go. And yet you hear people say like, oh, Javante Williams should be like a top 25 pick and the first running back off the board and Kylan Hill's a sixth or a seventh rounder. You're wrong. You're, you're, you're confused <laughs> about something. I don't yeah. know what it is or if you care, but you're confused about something. And if you have a bigger perspective going multiple years, I think Kylan Hill and, and Javante Williams both fit into sort of like a, a like the sort of category that Zach Moss was last year. And I think Zach Moss is good. I know a lot of people are bored with him now, but it's like he got hurt and otherwise played pretty well as a rookie. And at Utah, he broke a hell of a lot of tackles and he was a three down player and he caught passes well and he, 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 he dominated all the time. He made great entertaining tape. He ran a four six five where he pretty I think this doesn't really get talked about enough, but he would clearly pulled up in that run when he was going mm-hmm. he did a four six five at the combine. So let's if, if we Dalvin say that Cook style? Is that the what, uh, was the I other running remember, back that like Ronald Jones? Pulled? Ronald Jones, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that where you saw like his gait changed in that clip. It's not like he ran a 40 and then pretended he had a hamstring injury to to get out of running a second one. He probably right. would have ran a second one if he could have, because it wasn't that good. It was a four six yeah. five. So he, he, he looked to me like he pulled up in the last like five yards of that run. So maybe he could have done like a four, six, two or a four, six, three, if he had been healthy. And if you had a four, six, two or a four, six, three at the combine, it's probably at worst a four, six, and maybe even like a four, five, seven or a four, five, eight on a pro day track, including North Carolina's. So Zach Moss is a guy who should be thought of as the same as Javante Williams and Kylan Hill, in my opinion. And if you can't find a way to have enthusiasm about Zach Moss and Kylan Hill, but you are a super fan of Javante Williams. I think you're not doing the math at all, and maybe, or maybe you're doing the wrong math. I don't know. Yeah, you're but just intentionally no... looking at the information one way. I mean, you're you're like shoehorning basically. You're 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 saying right. You're planting your flag on Javante that... Williams without, uh, you know, considering anything else. Yeah, and Moss ran that at like two twenty three or whatever, not two fourteen, not two twelve or two fourteen or whatever. Kylan Hill was so it's. Like I'm okay with being a fan of that guy or whatever, but you should be more generous with with be more inclusive into your cool running back club because you're just being arbitrary right now. I I think that this is a good jumping off point for you know I think something that's that's interesting that that um you know maybe gets lost in the overall context of draft evaluation, but more more so like year over year prospect evaluation. I think Zach Moss is the perfect example because he's a rookie a year ago. So he's someone that, that, you know, had a fan club, uh, you know, had a lot of people like really buzzing about him, uh, has a rookie year. That's, you know, not, not great. Um, but fine. And like you said, people are bored of him now. And and it's like, do do you not think that this similar path could happen to another rookie with, with very, very similar, uh, traits and, and metrics and and and, all, and similar type of play style like that that could easily happen once again and he he landed in a spot Zach Moss did where you figured yeah if he's like ready to go then he should beat out Devin Singletary like pretty quickly pretty easily so I mean that I, I just want to get into just kind of like the the year over year just being able to have that perspective of, of like we've seen this before but why are we treating it differently now yeah I it's you know, some social media might have something to do with it. Like we're all more goldfish brained than ever. And we, we all were probably goldfish brained enough as it was. And it's uh, time 
is either f like flat at this point or it's circling into itself like an Ouroboros or something. And, and there's no actual placement that is, uh, you know, finalized. Everything's up to negotiation. Everything can be forgotten or revised as necessary. And people do. People believe literally everything. There's somebody who believes everything now and they have a community of like-minded fools who all egg each other on and uh, like an objective agreed upon consensus reality just doesn't exist. But I think Zach Moss is a guy who he has a, a wide range of outcomes still. I think like I, I actually thought his, his rookie year would have to be called a clear success if only because no one gave him a real shot of beating out Devin Singletary going into the year. And he did, he, he, I know they, they rotated in Singletary and Singletary is a, a decent player. Like he, there's no reason for him to disappear or anything. But Moss did everything Singletary could do and better. So he's he he took this guy who uh, people were taking Devin Singletary in like the fourth and the fifth round going into last year. Something that that's something that already got memory hold, and everybody's mm. going to say like, "Oh, I was never a Devin Singletary fan." Eh, some of you were. Yeah, um, a lot of people were. Uh, yeah, when we were Zach. I, I think I can speak for you also. Like we were Zach Moss truthers, so we were like Zach Moss is, you know, maybe the coaches are dumb, but Zach Moss is definitely better, and Zach Moss was definitely better, and. I kind of look at it at like um, there's a low floor because Josh Allen will always do a lot of running in that offense. But if you, if you must take a pretty decent player in one of the highest scoring offenses and they're getting snaps, that's one of those things where it, it sometimes just makes sense to bet on it, not knowing anything more, because that's, uh, that's more right there than what you get in a lot of things you have to speculate on. So right. he's in a good, he's in an offense that will score points and he will play in it and he's mm -hmm. a good player. So the usage is probably not going to be great, but in the off chance that we're wrong about that, he would have a huge year and basically no one would have had to pay much for it. See, exactly. And, and that brings me to, to my next point. So again, uh, earlier on in the show, I teased this, but uh, underdog is running uh, the, these uh, this best ball tournament that is just rookies and second year players. Moss is among them. And Moss is someone who I targeted um, in my draft and you could get him, uh, very, very late, uh, in my opinion. Uh, let's see. I, let's see. I got him with the 31st pick, and that doesn't sound that late on, on its surface, but to give some context here. So because it's a smaller player pool, way, way smaller, it's, um, it, again, just first-year and second-year players. Uh, so it's just four teams in this thing, and it's a, it goes in a fast draft. So you, you kind of have to be ready to, to make a snap call on a lot of these guys because, you know, there, there might only be, like, 90 seconds from the time that you picked to to the next time uh, that you're up and, and a lot's going to happen in between there. Um, but either way, uh, Zach Moss, he went 31st overall. I grabbed him. I grabbed a couple of these second year guys that that I think are being undervalued and they're undervalued in this format. So I, I think you can extrapolate to regular season long or, or best ball with, with the entire player pool. I also drafted AJ Dillon uh, with my with my next pick at, at 34 because they're both guys that um, we believed in as prospects and maybe they didn't pop to, to what, you know, the, the consensus or the casual fan would, would consider like, Oh, th this is like going to be the guy um, it as a, as a second year player, what have you. But I think that that presents a buying opportunity, particularly in this type of format. Sorry. Did you say you got Dylan after Moss? I did. That is weird. I, I thought I assumed AJ Dillon was still going in like the seventh round of uh, redraft in, in 2021 best ball. Um, whereas I figured Moss was going in like the ninth or 10th or something like that. I think, you know, people 
it's strange to me that people can grasp or people believe that Jamal, Jamal Williams is useful somehow to an NFL offense. And they, they saw how he pretty much split reps with Aaron Jones last year. And instead of giving the same sort of share of the offense to AJ Dillon in projections, people are like, Oh man, he's going to play like quarter of the snaps and Aaron Jones is going to get everything else. Like, A.J. Dillon is a lot better than Jamal Williams. If Jamal Williams took X share of the offense, then A.J. Dillon is taking at least that and probably more. And Aaron Jones is a is a little running back who got hurt a lot at UTEP, got nicked up in the NFL without taking a big workload. You have to factor in the upside with A.J. Dillon, too. And if, if Aaron Jones – I mean, I love Aaron Jones, and I was high on him as a prospect. It's like back when they drafted Jamal Williams in the fourth and then Aaron Jones in the fifth – uh, I and plenty of other people were like, Aaron Jones is way better. He's going to be the good one. And yet I think, you know, to 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 not give A.J. Dillon a similar sort of, um, you know, consideration, like give, giving him, conceding the possibility that he's a true standout starting running back is, is I think, just kind of failing to engage the details. Because this guy is really big, really athletic. He played well last year. Uh, he's he's basically everything that Jamal Williams isn't like Williams is supposed to be a power back but he has like a skinny frame and he's not fast and he's not strong so he has to run at 150 percent motor to be 80 percent as good as any other running back and because he's like a cool guy and a, a fun person to be around and a hard worker that bridges the gap for people on the field and around the team to to justify getting him on the field but on the field AJ Dillon is clearly the better player and if God forbid Aaron Jones got hurt AJ Dillon would immediately become he's gonna he's gonna know, win you like your a, league if like a that top happens. twenty top twenty player at worst. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, the 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 signs, you know, it was a small sample because most of the backfield work was divided between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams last year. But when Dillon was in there and, and involved in the game plan, forty six carries, two hundred forty two yards, two touchdowns. That's a five point three uh, yards per carry average. So I mean, it, it's. It's a small-ish sample, but it, I mean, it's over thirty. It's it's significant. Like you can you can take something from that, and you and you figure that number is going to go up a fair bit, like you said, because Jamal Williams is gone. And again, there's as awesome as Aaron Jones is, there is injury history there, and and you know, I think it, there's a lot of reasons to to draft the you know, especially later in regular best balls or, or what have you, to take the second running back on a team because you know if especially if it's a good offense because if if the lead guy goes down. You know, you, you have a potential league winner there. So I think A.J. Dillon uh, definitely fits that that mold. And I'm, I'm excited to have him uh, on the squad as well. And then uh, looking elsewhere, um, I think with this particular format and the way that the league is right now, especially with kind of how underwhelming uh, last year's rookie quarterback class was, and then you, you lop on to other than Justin Herbert, of course. Um, and then uh, you lop on the fact that out of this this class, like, who do you think is really going to kill it this year other than Trevor Lawrence? I mean, so John, probably nobody. So Right. I was wondering, how many teams are in these leagues? Is it five So it's or six small. Or it's four. Four? Okay. So four. It's like he, he, Herbert is definitely whatever, the crown jewel of the quarterback pool then. And I, I'm a person who actually is pretty optimistic for Tua Tungavaliloa, but uh, he's probably not going to run that much. And Herbert probably went, will. Lawrence definitely can. Um yeah, I think I would really in a four-team league where you can't really pad the quarterback position with depth options or at least not reliable ones. It's like you'd you'd maybe be 
was Zach Wilson like the third, fourth quarterback taken? I, I don't have the draft board okay, itself in front of me, but um, he should I, at I, least start for sure. But we don't know anything about Fields and Lance as far as that goes. So even so much as having a real backup quarterback is something you can't really take for granted, even in a four-team league. So I would take Lawrence. I think there's a case to take Lawrence even like second overall then, because if you if 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 the if Herbert and Lawrence are like top eight quarterbacks league wide and the third best rookie or second year player is the, I don't know, the 22nd or something, then mm-hmm. whoever doesn't have that guy or the fourth one just can't compete no matter how good their running backs and receivers are. Like you, you need to have someone contributing at the objectively highest scoring position or else so, you're just kind of out of it. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically I got this huge pit in my stomach when I realized that I was, I was a second pick in this particular draft I went with DeAndre Swift. I would do that again, but I would only do it again if I knew that I could get Trevor Lawrence next because I was I was freaking out that I had just completely shot myself in the foot because I had that realization. It's like, I don't want any part of Joe Burrow in this type of format. All right, Burrow. I, I, lo- I love Tua, but, uh, you know, again, he's not in that same stratosphere. And, and Herbert, of course, like, like you said, is going to be the first quarterback off the board in, in these formats. So, I really, really needed to get Lawrence, and and luckily I did it. So I, I'm interested to see how the shape of these markets, you know, kind of, kind of take and, and develop. You know, as we get more sample, as we get more of these drafts running. But um, I think at the very least, it, it's important to to make note that that yeah, get Herbert or Lawrence, or you know, be be ready to get real creative with it. Um, I I waited to get my second quarterback much later. Um, with my 30, with the 39th pick overall, I got Trey Lance and I don't feel great about that, but I I feel okay about it overall because I have Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that, I think that should be fine. And in that league, again, it's like one or two teams will have a viable backup quarterback at most. So Mm -hmm. having a, having a backup who at least has a ton of upside is, is about as realistically good. You can do probably, especially since you have Lawrence and other people are probably going to try to punt and go with like Burrow to a plus maybe Lance, but, or like Zach Wilson is quarterback one plus Lance or fields. And that could work. I, I don't like Wilson. So I, I'm not prepared to wager it. I would really consider it crucial to get uh, not, not just like a Burrow or a Tagovailoa, but I think the Herbert and Lawrence teams are going to win a lot more than, than that ADP presupposes. Like I, I think, you know, there's probably an edge there at quarterback to exploit because people do so religiously and uncritically follow this assumption like just wait at quarterback just wait at quarterback it's easy like eh, it's 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 easy if there aren't two guys averaging 28 points per game and then the third giving you 20 and the fourth 16 and the fifth is a backup mm-hmm. see exactly so so yeah waiting on quarterback in regular leagues fine but in, in this where you have the the player pool pared down like this to, to where like no you said volume you, element no you need the that, quality Exactly. So you got to have it. You got to aim high uh, with your quarterback selections. Uh, I'll run through a couple other um, things. By the way, John, here. Go on. So I wanted to say like that Lawrence pick is a huge deal and your team sounds awesome. I think people are, I know mm-hmm. I've said something about this before, but people don't get how good Lawrence is. I, watch some tape of him running again. You forget how he, insanely athletic he is. He is going he to ran away from the, the Ohio apart. State defense for He's a touchdown. He's going to tear the league apart. He's going to destroy the NFL. It's uh, he is so awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, so uh, because of of the you know the narrower player pool, um, wide receiver and tight end are lumped in together, which uh, took my pick of, of Kyle Pitts from super genius level um, just down to regular genius level. Which are... <laughs> uh. So 
What so, round was that? Um, I got him with the 10th overall selection. Oh, I, th I thought you took Swift. Oh, wait, is that like the second, third round? I took Swift okay. first, uh, then Lawrence, and then Pitts was so my third, third pick. pick. Okay. Yes. Did you happen to do you happen to remember what kind of receivers were going around there when you took him? Um, well, I, I was able no to ability to guess what players are going where, you know. For, right. For for context's sake, that so Pitts was my first pass catcher that, that I took, and then I, I backed it up with two guys with my with my next picks, both Jerry Judy and Jamar Chase. So I was able to there get those go. guys, uh, you know, with my fourth and fifth selections. Like I was definitely good with that. And after our discussion last week about Denver's offense specifically, really kind of starting to think I, I'm going to get a lot of Judy shares this year. And then Jamar Chase being there, I, I know there's some uncertainty with, with any of these rookies as to what the landing spot looks like, but I mean, he's still a wide receiver one in this class. And, and you know, he could end up somewhere that that's sneaky good inside the top 10 as far as the, the, the situation, maybe a quarterback goes, you know, if he goes to Miami, I'm stoked uh, on that or, or something like that. So um, I like the range of outcomes for, for Jamar Chase and for, for him to be available where he was. I was definitely happy to grab him. So I, I went definitely more rookie flavor with, with my um, pass catchers. Uh, Judy was the only second year guy I got. Um, the other ones outside of Chase, I got Waddle with the 26th pick and then Elijah Moore um, with the 42nd, so uh, towards the tail end of my draft. I think there's a pretty good chance that Waddle goes in the top 10. Uh, I think Chase is going to Cincinnati, which is interesting. It's just kind of like a lot of ways it could go. And I, I think T. Higgins is a total monster, and, and I definitely like Tyler Boyd too. So, so it's hard for me to figure out what a fair expectation for Chase is, but I, I love the Judy pick. I think in this format, it sounds like his market is a, is in a real sweet spot by my yeah. standards because I, I there's there's just kind of um like the, there's a concerning tone around him. Like there's this sort of tone of like there's hope, but there's concern. I don't actually see much concern, or at least the concern that I have relates to Drew Locke. It doesn't have anything to do with Judy. <laughs> Judy's rookie season was actually clearly promising, in my opinion. So if people are kind of bored with him then he's he's a guy i would want to just hammer shares of because i, I think people's perspectives are going to quickly change on that yeah um again it, it's something where you know and you, you've kind of see, seen the forest through the trees on on this in the will fuller case you know like everyone bangs on him for the drops everyone bangs on jerry judy for the drops and and you know will fuller when healthy is is tremendous and i, I think judy uh, i don't think there's any way that, that he sustains a catch rate under 50 percent Again, and I know that Cortland Sutton's going to come back, but maybe that just attracts less attention that helps on Judy. The drop Get, problem. Yeah, yeah, that gives him space, and he doesn't have to spend as much bandwidth being like, "Where's that guy? When am I going to get hit by that guy? I got to think about this while I'm thinking about where I'm putting my hands and my feet." He's just thinking about the second two things. If he's got Sutton pulling the safety or the weak side linebacker off him. There we go. So, so again, uh, we're Judy guys uh, for sure. And then one last thing I want to get to, and I think it, it marries up nicely with, with what we've just been talking about. But for context sake, these guys, I don't believe they went in uh, in this draft, but this is a, a tournament. So it's going to run across every single league that is drafted and, and the best overall team uh, is, is going to be the one that wins it. Uh, um, sorry, <laughs> but that means that there's probably going to be a home run swing or two with the last pick um, that, that that ends up being the one that, that kind of shifts everything. And so uh, I want to talk about Nico Collins and Tamori and Terry um, in the context of, you know, potential late round targets in this or, or you know, just the, the general um, dynasty type evaluation because they're the big receivers in this class. And then you, uh, as far as like size wise, um, and then you, you look at them compared to guys like Michael Pittman and Denzel Mims that, that were the, the big guys uh, in last year's class. 
Yeah, so I would fade Pittman in this format and probably most others. I, I do like Mims in this format and most others, assuming he's not going for you know a crazy price or whatever. Um, I don't have much in the way of guarantee to offer anyone for Nico Collins and Tamori and Terry, especially this year. In a lot of ways, their profiles are not very clean. They probably both won't go as high as, as Pittman or Mims did last year. I just think they will prove to be steals wherever they go. And I, I make that assumption based on the way they produced in college and the kind of athletic testing they did. But in Nico Collins's case, he's going to get penalized for being an opt-out because the NFL is run by a bunch of psychos who, who are violent reactions. Yeah, so I saw the, saw the Raiders are having a lively discussion about the guys that, that opted out. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah like, Michael Parsons, uh, we, bad player. Like, guys, yeah. do we want to have a good team or do we want to maybe uh, – punish do we do we want to like lose some games in order to punish uh, some guys who weren't eager to infect their families with this mystery play that was just killing off entire uh, older households that uh, yeah that's that's a great basis to to judge a player but oh, yeah. uh, that's why they're in charge and we aren't and uh, they're going to prove us for being uh, the, the snowflake losers we are by letting a division rival get a good player at a discount uh, so that's that's going to work out well for them, I'm sure. But Nico yep. Collins is a guy basically who I think is he, he's he's just better to, than Pittman to me. Like he's the same. He's a little lighter, but he's he's as tall and he's still pretty well built, like two fifteen plus, and running a low four four, a mid range four four on a frame like that is just good. Like that's that's Kenny Galladay ran a four five flat. I think Pittman had like the four five two or something. So. Uh, Nico Collins being a four four five guy at six four two fifteen is a pretty unique category. That is good speed. That's that's a very fast player for a build like that. And he had a good three cone, good vertical, good broad jump. His production is really clean at Michigan. There just wasn't much volume. Uh, right. he, he only had about sixteen point six percent share of the targets in his two big years. But he played those years at at ages that adjust well for the for for the age part of the production. And he, he not only placed way ahead, way ahead of the, the rest of the Michigan team with yards per target, but also the completion percentage was at least like three points higher. So that's to say, like, he was carrying that offense to the extent that it threw the ball. And it would have been ideal if he could have done more. But when he's, when he's establishing and lifting the baseline like that so emphatically, and especially when he tests as well as he did athletically, I have to assume the quarterback or the structure of the team was the problem because there's Michigan only fans will agree with you. <laughs> What's yeah. that? Michigan fans oh, yeah. will, will vehemently agree with you. Yeah, and Donovan Peoples-Jones turned out to look really good as a rookie. Like, he might go in a third or fourth round if they redraft last year. So, uh, Nico Collins was better than him at Michigan. So, if, if Donovan Peoples-Jones is worth a third, then Nico's definitely worth a second and so on. Uh, in the case of Terry, he's a lot more messy of a profile because he's got a couple knee injuries in his background. He's a little older as a prospect. But the reason I'm high on him – with that and he has some drops issues too and he just kind of looks weird like he's a big guy who doesn't really play very big but what's interesting to me about him is in his younger age seasons too he also produced in a way that i would call above baseline but his catch rate was below baseline because he was doing these kind of ambitious downfield targets and the quarterback play was not good at Florida state and he he made it worse by not catching some of his targets that a a more uh, tenacious receiver would have but the reason i like terry is because i think he has like a clinching ability uh like a like a back of the ability to like just break the back of a defense downfield to the point that even if you're not featuring him as a receiver in your offense the defense has to put a safety over the top and if they don't you can call that bluff of theirs and send him on a play action post route. And he's just going to dust who's ever on him. Like you need the safety over the top. And when someone is that good at one thing, 
it makes me willing to overlook the flaws, which there are flaws with Terry. Like he's not going to be a guy you feed underneath. Um, but to me, he's interesting because he's basically like a bigger, slower Will Fuller. Uh, not quite as good. I, I I evaluate Will Fuller very highly. I think I think he's awesome. Whereas with yep. Terry, I think it's more like he's good, and in one particular way, he's one of the best. And uh, I tend to fixate on things like that when it, when so much of the the median outcome of of this game has to do with just situational details and just kind of uh, things that are going to happen anyway. I feel like the place that you find edges is where you, when you find guys who just don't have peers in some way or another. And like Derek Henry is an example of that. It's like, he's too slow. Uh, but when you're as insanely big and fast as he is, the too slow doesn't matter anymore because the defense has to so fundamentally reassess things because of your one extreme strength that they yep. don't have the bandwidth to, to exploit the weakness that you might have. So I think Terry could get snaps earlier than expected, even if he falls to like the fourth round, because he's going to open up everything with just his speed and the downfield threat. And if defenses don't respect that threat, he could produce right away because he's just a murderer on the deep ball. He pulled his, he only ran like a four, four, five 40, but from 20 yards to 40 yards, he's about as fast as anybody. Like he, he's a little slow off the line for some reason, but when he gets into gear, he just pulls away. Like no questions right. asked. And you, and you can forgive him for, for not, for having a little bit of the buildup because he is like six, four, you know? Yeah. He's like six, three, two Oh eight. So he's, I, I called it like he's, he's, I think the player that people wanted Mims to be, uh, okay. I consider him like an average starter, and I think Terry having this this true trump card in his game, I think could be the kind of guy who just plays above everybody's expectations for him. I, yeah, I think so too. So so definitely keep an eye on him in, in your rookie drafts. He, he he again, like Mario said, has that that trump card trait uh, in his game. That that game. I'd love breaking to see him in speed. Seattle. If you put Ooh. him in Seattle opposite DK Metcalf, if they want to double Metcalf and double lock it, like it's just. A rap Russell Wilson's deep ball with Tamori and Terry will definitely work. Oh, my Freddie Swain shares. Um, <laughs> no, um, but that that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast live stream. We'll be doing this uh, probably more so on Thursdays. We will get another one. We'll we'll tweet it out uh, for everyone. Uh, we'll get another one in before the NFL draft at the very least, uh, and we'll, we'll keep this rolling, of course, throughout the rest of the off season. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.